standard issue for all women. Hello, Hannah here. Because Friday is International Women's Day, we're doing things a bit differently this week. We've got six podcasts for you covering the arts, science, sport and history, with one being released every day up until Saturday. We talked to writer Lisa Holdsworth about her new play, about the troubled life of playwright Andrea Dunbar. We chat to comedian Angela Barnes about women in history. We host a round table with the Royal Society of Chemistry. We talk 100 years of women in the police with author and former police officer Jennifer Reese. We talk to Carla Williams about her production company, Ms Mono. And we talk to Jill Scott, Manchester City and England midfielder, about the forthcoming Women's World Cup, among other things. So, loads to enjoy there. If you've got time, you should listen to them all. But before that, here's a bit more about the episode you found yourself listening to now. Back in February, I went up north to meet writer and all-round top woman Lisa Holdsworth. Lisa is the deputy chair of the Writers Guild of Great Britain and does loads of other stuff, including writing for TV. She wrote that episode of Call the Midwife that dropped everyone's jaw a few weeks ago. She's also written a new play about Andrea Dunbar, the Bradford playwright who is probably best known for the raucous Rita Sue and Bob Two, which was made into a notorious film by Channel 4 back when it made the sort of TV that everybody videoed and passed around at school. I went to learn more about Andrea's troubled and sadly short life and Lisa's play, Black Teeth and a Brilliant Smile. Enjoy. Hey there, people of London and the surrounding areas. Anyone who's been paying attention will know that we've moved to a new London venue, King's Place, and a super venue it is too. We'll be back there on April the 18th with Jane Flippin' Horrocks and Helen Lederer, and again on May the 19th when we'll be chatting to She of Best Newcomer nomination at last year's Edinburgh Fringe, Sindhu V, and the legendary Catherine Tate. Am I bothered though? Actually, yes. Yes, I am. More info and indeed tickets can be found at sarahmillican.co.uk forward slash standard hyphen issue. Hi, I am here in Mickey's house in Halifax with Lisa Holdsworth, writer, screenwriter, playwright. That's right. And a deputy chair of the Writers Guild. At the moment, yeah. Is that an annual thing, does it? it every three years we have oh, okay. to re- reassess, which is a good thing, it's churn. We are here to talk about Andrea Dunbar. A name that might not be instantly familiar to people, which is frankly outrageous and something that you are doing something about. So maybe could you give us like a tiny sort of pricey of who Andrea is and then we'll we'll get into it in more detail as we go along. So most people know Andrea as, as the woman who wrote Read Soon Bob 2, uh, the very famous 80s Channel 4 film. But she was a playwright who, who wrote three really incredible State of the Nation plays back in the 80s about the reality of life where she grew up, which was Buttershire in Bradford. Uh, unfortunately, she had a very chaotic life, three children to, to three different men, uh, grew up on a on a very chaotic estate and that caught up with her in her late 20s. She died at the age of 29 and she's sort of been buried a little bit. And like I say, people know Rita and Bob too, but as I'm sure we'll talk about later, that film is necessarily a reflection of her work. But over the last few years, she started to come back to prominence again. It's very hard to get copies of the plays, but her plays are now being produced. So surely the last play she ever wrote was produced in Halifax a couple of years ago. Read Soon, Bob 2 is going on tour very soon. And I'm writing an adaptation of a novel about her called Black Teeth and a Brilliant Smile that will be on tour in the UK from May onwards. I'm going to guess maybe your first encounter with 
Andrea Dunbar was the same as many women of our generation, was that somebody gave you a VHS copy of Rita Soon <laughs> Bob 2 because it was a bit saucy. Absolutely. Well, it was talked about because where I grew up in Leeds is not that far away from Buttershaw. So, yes, my first experience was watching it either late night on Channel 4 or someone would have taped it and we watched it. It was incredibly racy, as we would have said back then. Uh, lots of, sort of sexes, sex and shenanigans. And also it was there was a discussion about whether it was a true reflection of life in, in that area of Bradford. And I had friends from Bradford. Yeah, the reaction to it was titillated and everybody talking about quoting from it, singing the horrible Blacklist song from it. Yeah. Um, but also horrified that it, it was showing Bradford in such a horrendous light. I think some people really thought it was was a betrayal of Bradford. So it was very interesting thinking back on that reaction. Andrea Dunbar is one of those writers where it's almost impossible to separate her life and her work. And she was so entrenched in in Bradford. Yeah. And at the same time, there was that reaction to her in Bradford. It, it seems that she... Almost she couldn't escape from it. She was kind of trapped in a cycle of living there, writing about there, living there, writing about there. Specifically, the Brafton Arbour, where she grew up, the street she grew up on, it's almost she had such a love-hate relationship with it. She did leave. She you know, went to live with her first boyfriend, Yusuf. She ended up in a, in a woman's shelter near Keithley, the other side of Bradford. But she always wanted to go back. And what happened through her writing is that it may have alienated her from a world that she felt very comfortable in. Towards the end of her life, she, she was virtually living in the Beacon pub in Buttershaw. But there was there was a, a barrier that had got thrown up between her and people who didn't know her very well, that they assumed things about yeah. her, that they they fell under scrutiny by her. And I think any writer's experienced that when, when someone says, oh, oh, you'll be thinking about that for your next drama. Usually, you know, because it's something very boring. But uh-huh. that slight mistrust of someone who's gone out of the area and maybe has told tales, there's a little bit of that, that you've gone off and shown people who we are. And yeah. some people were, the neighbours, her parents' neighbours were absolutely incensed about some of the things she wrote, even though a lot of it was incredibly accurate. She has a very accurate voice and that that's why she broke through and was very successful. I saw some footage, some contemporaneous footage on um, YouTube of them interviewing her parents and they asked had they actually seen the plays and her dad said, no. <laughs> And her mum said, yes. But you could tell from that, yes, that that was a yes, but I I didn't really like it. So I think it's sort of the isolation almost. She was isolated within her own family. Absolutely. I think anybody who breaks out and does something that's not the norm, not the run of the mill, parents react in in one of two ways from what I've seen, which is either we don't quite get this, but we support you. And I think her mum was very much like that. And and later in Andrea's career, they did come down to London to see the plays, but certainly when she, her plays moved from the studio space to yeah. the main house of the Royal Court, they did come down and, and see it. And it was later revealed that, that her dad may have wanted to be a writer at some point. Oh, really? Um, but had very serious problems with alcoholism. Um, so it's all in there. So there's maybe a little bit of resentment from him as well. So very, it's very rich territory. Oh, that is really interesting. I think the most incredible thing in this whole story is that a girl from a notorious estate in Bradford, aged 15, wrote 
a play in Green Biro in an exercise book and it somehow found its way into the hands of the director of the Royal Court. Now, that's down to a teacher. Mm. That doesn't happen anymore, does it? It's really weird. I'm doing... uh, I've been helping Tracy Brabin with her campaign about uh, working class access to the arts and talking to... With my rights guild hat, I'm talking to Equity, talking to the, the Musicians Union as well, about how the place where it should start, that joy of writing, music, acting, visual arts, etc., used to start at school... And now it's it's absolutely stripped away. Everything's underfunded. Teachers are overworked. So the opportunity to look at someone who has, has a skill that's a little bit outside of the exam subjects and say, actually, I'm going to encourage that, which is exactly what her teacher did. He, apparently she wrote an essay that was a punishment essay, why, why I don't want to do domestic science yeah. or economics as it would have been known then. And it got passed around the staff room because people thought it was hilarious. And that's what first brought her to the attention oh, of really? that teacher. But he packed, And they sent it to Yorkshire Television. They, they knew she had something. I really question whether that would happen now. It's, it's certainly in a state school. I mean, possibly uh, somewhere like Eton where they've got three yeah. fully funded theatres. A nice fact I found out recently that gave me the absolute rage. <laughs> um, and then when she was at the at the women's shelter, she was lucky to... Uh, one of the social workers who worked with her worked in women's theatre in Bradford. Very much a really healthy fringe uh, political theatre uh, seen in Bradford at the time. She recognised her talent and encouraged and said, you know, write what you know, which is exactly what Andrea did. She was an absolute embodiment of that cliche. Yeah. Write what you know. And it was always Andrea's aim to write something that was truly reflective of what she'd lived, her, her lived experience, which I think is amazing. Yeah. You say that about sort of uh, isolating her skill. Again, in some footage that I saw, her sister was showing off her school report and it was said English A and then underneath it it was D E F. You must have seen this then. And my favourite bit was the RE which said, Andrea is not God, she needs to come to she terms with this. <laughs> so obviously her teachers had a sense of humour as well. Absolutely. Yeah. That's funny as well about because in Rita Sue and Bob too, there is that hilarious line where her mum says, If your teacher wants you to cook bonds, she can fucking pay for it. <laughs> Let's talk about Rita Silverbob too, because I watched that in prep for this interview, and I hadn't seen it since since the first time I saw it. So maybe that's thirty years. Yeah. What I was really, really struck by, as you know, as an older woman now, and possibly in a post Me Too place, is that I genuinely don't know how I would feel about that. Work. Did I know that it was written by a man? Yeah. Because it really goes into some interesting areas, and the the question of whether two girls at the age of 15 or 16, whether or not they feel that they were empowered and they were making a choice or yeah. whether they were being groomed is really still quite contentious, I, I, I think, think I mean, even was, amongst girls themselves at 15 and 16. Absolutely. It was a written, in, written in a time where the word grooming meant something to do with horses, not yeah. to do with with people. And, you, and watching it through that modern lens and realising that's exactly what Bob does. The fact that he blames his... Sort of very uptight wife, yeah. And and it is interesting that Andrea, who'd been in that relationship, in reality, 
it's not a very sympathetic representation no. of Bob's wife. No. And I think as an old woman, you look at that and go, that, that's a woman who's at home keeping the house together. Yeah. And he's going off and shagging two 15 year Yeah, olds. because she won't put out enough. Exactly. Yeah. The, the, the idea of a frigid wife. And that feels like it's come directly from the real Bob, that he said that yeah. to them, you know, well, I, can't, I just can't get my end away anymore, sort of thing. It's, I think, stood up enormously well because it's written from... The, the woman's point of view, I think there's probably a lot of women who, I mean, Andrea would be in her 50s now, who probably had those relationships and are, are looking back on them now with fresh eyes. And I, I don't blame any woman who had a relationship like that looking back and going, actually, I had a good time. I don't feel too damaged. Mm. But there will be some women looking back and going, oh, my God, I was so exploited. And, yeah. And looking back at it. So it's... it's it's really interesting. What I like about Andrew's writing is it's not simple. It's not cut and dried. It's not everybody's a bad bad person. Everybody gets a fair crack of the whip, possibly with the exception of Bob's wife. Everybody has their side to them. And I think that's also part of her being a working class writer as well, that she, she doesn't descend into these people are nothing but scum to be yeah. examined. She looks at people and gives them a, a rich in a life yeah beyond how much money they make and i think as well because it's a, because it's a working class story if that had been uh, uh, i mean bob is aspirationally middle yeah. class isn't he he has he has moved on and one of my favorite things is though it doesn't really matter there's still an old man watching what's going on <laughs> yeah. in both places the guy on the balcony who does that funny little jig <laughs> and the guy perpetually watering his garden <laughs> both i both love but were that a middle class story, I think that it would be more difficult to understand the girls' motivations mm. because, you know, they they are living in a world where I mean, it sounds almost Dickensian to say it, but like life was short, brutal, and Andrea's life herself proved short that. And brutal, so yeah. maybe you take your fun and your opportunities for fun where you can. Perhaps that brilliant uh, beer keller scene where they're, they're dancing to. Having a gang, yeah. we're having a gangbang. They are having the time yeah. of their lives. They're really enjoying it, yeah. and you get that. So, so, yeah, I think that's exactly it. Have some fun, and I think that was very much Andrea's point of view. She never, she never saved any money. All went, you know, all went every time she got a check, which came to bear in the bum later in her, in her life. She ended up in in court for tax evasion yeah. and, and benefit fraud because she didn't understand the system. So, yeah, she was very much enjoy the moment. Because you don't know where your next check's yeah. coming from. Let's talk about the ending of Rita Sue and Bob 2, because that was written by a man. It was. Right. By the time Rita Sue and Bob 2, there was some interest in the in the play as a film by Channel 4. Andrea was had a problematic relationship with theatre at that time. She'd been picked up and dropped quite a few times. And then Alan Clark, who directed Scum, decided that he wanted to take on this film. Came up to Bradford, wasn't there, I can't comment, but it does sound like he came up being a bit of a swinging dick and telling mm. everybody how brilliant he was. And he was quite brilliant, but it, yeah. He was, he's a, an amazing yeah. film director. But nonetheless I, nonetheless, I take your point, yeah. exactly, yeah. Him and Andrea did not get on, mm, um, but mainly because he wanted changes that she was very yeah. against. And towards the end of the production, not only was she she banned from meetings where, script meetings, she was also excluded from, they were filming outside her house and she wasn't allowed on the set. Wow. Yeah. Which is extraordinary. Yeah. Her and Alan had a couple of real proper knockdown ding-dongs. And at the end, he decided to change change the ending against her express 
wishes. So the ending, if people remember it, is a really clear image. It's the two girls in bed with Bob after all the trouble, after the wife's walked out and all the rest of it. It's it's almost a happy after ending. In the play, Bob loses everything. He loses the two girls. He loses his wife. His life is broken. And that is exactly how Andrea thought it should be. Because her real relationship with her and a friend had a relationship with a, a guy who lived near the, the uh, women's refuge where they were actually almost ruined their lives. They were broken up. She ended up in a flat she didn't want to be in. She fell out with a friend, all the rest of it. It was, it was not a good experience and didn't leave her in good stead afterwards. And she wanted it, the play to reflect that. And looking back, again through the modern lens in a post-Me Too environment, it's a terrible ending. Yeah. It's awful. There is no comeuppance for this man. And it freeze frames on that. He's in that jump, so it ends in almost like a sort of a confessions of a window cleaner style, yeah. like carry-on style romp of like, hey, it's happy. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it is a, a, a dreadful ending. I would love... It feels like uh, this could be the year of Andrew. So there's my play and, and people are rediscovering her work and taking it on tour. I would love Channel 4 to say we're remaking Read Sue and Bob 2 and give it the proper ending. Yeah. And get a female director on board. Yeah. To give it, someone like Penny Wilcock would be brilliant directing an adaptation of that. But it, as it stands, it's a great film right up until the last, I would say, 15 minutes. Yeah. Andrea died at 29. You feel like when you read her story, I was kind of struck by the sort of comparisons to someone like maybe like Angela Carter, as in not because of the background or the lifestyle that they led, but because they died literally at what when they were starting to be at the height of their powers. Yeah. So it does feel like a real what if. Oh, with her. It's been so weird since since I, I got this job, since Freedom Studio commissioned me to write this. And then I, I sort of launched into the, the reading of the novel and the, the research and speaking to Adele Stripe, who, who um, wrote the book. And is an incredible writer. It's been such a pleasure to work with, with her. It's been a very good experience. It's been like I've had grief for Andrea and the potential. And I look at her career and think you sort of hope someone would have picked her up and brushed her off and she'd have ended up writing for a soap opera or doing something at the West Yorkshire Playhouse or the Leeds Playhouse as it's now called. Someone would have recognised that enormous potential and taken taken her under their wing and helped her develop herself as a writer. And and imagining what a 40-year-old Andrea would have written, what a 50-year-old Andrea would have written, looking at the world today, how she'd have trained her eye on what's going on with poverty and austerity and and things like that it is a voice that is massively missing from both theatre and film and television at the moment it's it's an absolute tragedy that she went when she did yeah she died of a brain hemorrhage she did which is not connected to her lifestyle choices as far as i'm aware but nonetheless her lifestyle choices were leading her down a road that that it might not have ended sure. particularly well that sadly has kind of echoed on through the the her children who were obviously you know left without yeah. their mother at a very young age as well i think it, it's there's a film called the arbor which is a, a verbatim film that rec- that interviewed her children and and then actors um actually mine to the words it's, it, it's a weird thing to explain but it's actually the most extraordinarily powerful film and the backbone of it it is an interview with Lorena, her eldest child, who 
as you go through the film, realise life was not good for her. She was, she was mixed race because her father was uh, Pakistani. Growing up in Bradford in the 80s, not great. Her, Andrea had a very, even though she, she claimed she wasn't racist, had a, had a strong opinion about Pakistani men because of her relationship with Yusuf, which was violent. And some of that fell back on, on her daughter. And unfortunately, um, she's now in prison because her so she went on to have children. Her son got a hold of some methadone because she was a, a heroin mm. addict. And she probably won't see the light of day again. It's it's heartbreaking what went on. But also, you don't know whether... Is that a direct effect of having a mother or not having yeah. a mother there? And maybe having that person there to pull you out of those yeah. situations the other two children andrew and and, and lisa are, are very sorted and have children of their own it's you know i think those legacies carry on for a long time and yeah. it's, it's really sad i don't i don't think it, it can be easy and it's something that you know we certainly think about uh, in producing this play it can't be easy having your mother's life no. picked over whether she's lionized or you know it's it's brutal it's it's not nice having something that you've lived put up on stage and we're sort of very aware of that, but I do think it's a story that needs to be told. Yeah, absolutely. This is opening in Bradford. It is. Now, you're actually doing a performance in the pub. So the first two weeks, uh, we're, we're in a pub in Bradford up something Street, so it's, it's uh, the Ambassadors. It's an amazing room. One of the f- first things that we went is had a look at this uh, incredible room. The idea of the play is, um, and it's page feel, you get free drink if you pay it over a yeah. certain amount. Is you start having a drink and then this play kicks off around. People coming at you from all sides. It's an, it's set on Andrea's last day on this planet, which was spent in the Beacon pub in Buttershot. Now, there is a possible plan to do a, a charity performance uh, at the Beacon. The Beacon okay. is not in a state at the moment where right. anybody could do anything in there, but we're, we're certainly hoping that would be the case. But yeah, the ambassadors for two weeks, it's already selling, which is extraordinary. So you've had a good reaction in Bradford. The, yes. the The feeling about Andrea has shifted in the... In the I think so. I think she's... Bradford is ready to accept. But I mean, Bradford is the most extraordinary place. It is maligned, I think. And I, I think it's an amazing city. It's one of the youngest cities in the country. It's vibrant. It's incredibly diverse, which I think is one of the best things about it. And it sort of gets on with itself. It doesn't... It's not that interested in what other people think of it. Yeah. Whereas Leeds is all, you know, fur coat and no knickers. And I say that <laughs> as a proudly Odeon. Um, <laughs> Bradford just doesn't give a monkey is what other people think and just gets on with itself. And so finding, you know, that daughter of Bradford that we can celebrate, I'm hoping Bradford are on board for that. I think they are. Where can people find out more? So, freedomstudios.co.uk. There's loads of details on there. We are gradually announcing more and more tour dates. So, after we've been in Bradford for a fortnight, which is going to be extraordinary, we're off to Doncaster, uh, the cast theatre there, and then off to Oldham Coliseum, and then hopefully it'll have a life beyond that, and and hopefully we'll circle back and come back to Yorkshire. Fantastic. What else have you got on the horizon, or is uh, is this taking all of your... So um, I'd, I've just I wrote an episode of Call the Midwife last year as well, which was a, a, another extraordinary performance, all female production team. It was no drama, just fun, yeah. really lovely, a very pleasant experience. So I'm hoping that they'll they'll have me back for that. I've got another play on tour. I work with a um, a young company, Leeds based company, Wrong Semble, and they wanted to do a play about the unsung women of history. Uh, and weirdly, I, I started development on that before I got the Black Teeth job. 
Andrea is one of those women. Oh, really? Uh, so, which is extraordinary. And it's Ada, Ada Lovelace. Sophia Jack's backstory was the first woman in this country to go to university. You think you should know that name? Yeah. Uh, and Lillian Bader, who was one of the first women of colour to serve in the British Army uh, and got to the, the position of corporal. Extraordinary Second World War story. So that goes on top. That's going all over the place. Uh, so if you search Unsung Women Collective, you'll find that. And then loads of development work, which is the the bread and butter of every writer. Excellent. Can, can I ask you something else while while I've got you? You 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 come from a working class background. Uh, if someone is sitting in the north in their back bedroom, yeah, writing, you know, in a book in Green Biro about what's the best tip you think you could give them for being seen. You're already a writer because you've written something. There's so many people who, who come to me, and particularly quite middle-class students who have you know got onto good creative writing courses, but have never actually finished anything. Get it finished and start shoving it in front of people's faces. Don't be shy. Don't be embarrassed. Women in particular, women writers are, are a little bit backwards in coming forwards. They're getting so much better and are feeling very empowered. And, it, and it's beholden on women who have a level of success to elbow them yeah. into the spotlight. And that's certainly happening at the moment. Make a podcast. You yeah. know how that works. Film it on your on your phone and put it on YouTube. Send it to the BBC as an open reading policy. If you're based in Yorkshire, the West Yorkshire Playhouse, sorry, Leeds Playhouse, has an open reading policy. Uh, look for the competitions. If you're based in Yorkshire, join Script Yorkshire or whoever your local writing collective is. Yeah. And just get it out there. It. If it's if you've got talent, you will be spotted eventually. It just takes such a long time. Yeah, you know, don't expect it to be overnight, but keep plugging away. And I know people in their forties who are just now getting the recognition yeah. they deserve. Just getting spotted. I've been lucky. I've been a professional writer since I was in my twenties. But it there are jobs out there, and good. God, we need voices out there. Mm. We really need working class women's voices. Absolutely. It's a big gap. I think as well, I think people can be really sort of intimidated by, I think, especially I saw on Twitter recently, there's been a flurry of, this is how you write, number one, this Mm. your desk needs to be tidy. And and you look at things like that and it just intimidates you. And it reminds me, a couple of years ago, I interviewed someone and um, they were talking about a play they'd written. And they said, and of course, I did not know what the fuck I was doing, yeah. who I was going to show it to, whether anybody would ever see it except me. Two months after that, they got nominated for an Olivia Award. And I remember thinking that's the most reassuring thing that I've ever heard. She didn't know what the fuck she was doing. And it turned out to be brilliant. There's a lot of gatekeeping in in. Uh, particularly script writing it must be laid out in a certain way and you absolutely have to put this on the front title page and oh don't do this don't do that look if you've got a good story get it down someone else will help you with the layout if if they want to produce it don't worry about that and this absolute shite about uh, if you're not writing every day you're not true right that's rubbish because not that's not an option for everybody that you you know you must be in a perfectly white space completely clear and without i i write in a scruffy office with radio 2 on all day it works for me yeah it's not the right way it's my way yeah find what works for you and just write that's amazing thank you so much lisa it's always a pleasure absolutely Standard issue for all women.